as we continue to look at the Sermon on the Mount, particularly those eight sayings called the Beatitudes, which begin the Sermon on the Mount. As we do, I'd like to start with a question as we pick up from last week. And that is, who do you look at and you see their life and you think, I wish I had their life? Maybe it's how happy they are or the great family they have. Maybe it's their education. Maybe it's how pretty they are or how popular they are. Maybe it's the true love that they found or their career success. Maybe it's the wealth or the opportunities that they have. And you see it and you think, that's what I want my life to be like. Now, let me add a caveat from personal experience with this. When I was a fairly new pastor, I found that people liked my preaching. And they'd say, wow, pastor, more people should hear you. You should speak at retreats and conferences. And and at one point, I was wrestling with this desire and thinking, yeah, it'd be really nice to be noticed and appreciated by more people, to be sought after and respected. I would love to be a well-known preacher. And then Anne, my wise and insightful wife, said to me, no, you wouldn't. (laughs) You think you would, but you wouldn't actually like it. You wouldn't like all the travel, all the attention, all the strangers you'd have to meet and be nice to, <laughs> all, all, the, all the, the being in the public eye, the public persona, all the time away from your family, all the lonely nights in hotel rooms. And I realized, you know, she's right. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be as happy as I think I would to be a well-known speaker. And so as I ask you whose life you wish you had, I'm asking you to to be realistic and honest with yourself. What kind of life do you really want to have? What kind of life would really make you happy? Well, that's the question the Beatitudes are addressing. Remember, we saw last week that the Beatitudes are wisdom sayings. They give wise advice, in this case, Jesus' advice, on what a truly happy life looks like. And whose life you should desire for yourself and seek for yourself. If we could put up the slide. The Beatitudes tell us who's got it made. Who has the good life? Who gets to sit in those chairs? (laughs) Who lives a life that really flourishes? Or as I quoted another preacher saying last week, who the lucky bums are. And we saw last week that according to Jesus, this isn't at all who most people might expect. You can take down the slide. In fact, we saw that in the Beatitudes, Jesus begins to turn the world upside down. Although I argued last week that he's actually turning it right side up. Before we pick up looking at the specific Beatitudes again, let me remind you of two insights that we saw last week about the Beatitudes in general. And then I want to add a third insight as well that I didn't have time for last week. First, we saw that the Beatitudes are not describing eight different kinds of fortunate blessed people. But rather, they're describing one type of person who has these eight qualities in general. Second, remember again that the Beatitudes are wisdom sayings. They're wise observations about life and where to find a truly good and flourishing life. The Beatitudes are not blessings, and they are not commands or moral formulas. 
Also, they are not just good attitudes. I know it's hard for preachers to resist the, the catchy play on words in English with be attitudes. But the Beatitudes are much more than attitudes. (laughs) Living out the Beatitudes takes more than than choosing when you wake up to have a certain attitude as you face the day. Although that's a good start. But the Beatitudes dig deeper. They are much bigger than attitudes. They are about our hearts and our characters. Who we are day in and day out as people. The sort of people we really are and the sort of life that we're really living. Let me add this morning a third insight about the Beatitudes. And that is, notice that the Beatitudes as a whole set of eight begin and end with the kingdom of heaven. The first Beatitude says of the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last Beatitude, again in verse 10, before it's elaborated on in verses 11 to 12, it says of the persecuted, Again, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven bookends, begins and ends the Beatitudes. And this is not accidental. You see, Jesus' whole perspective as he shares his wisdom with us about the good life, the enviable life, the flourishing life, it's informed by the fact that the kingdom of heaven is coming near, has come near. The wisdom that Jesus shares is only wise in light of the fact that That he has come to bring the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus understands how things are changing as that kingdom comes. Remember we saw last week that Jesus began proclaiming as soon as he began his ministry. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Matthew 4.17 And then Matthew tells us in 4.23, it was read this morning. Jesus went about proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus healed people. He set them free from demons, demonstrating and bringing the reality of that kingdom into people's lives. And so the Beatitudes aren't just any wisdom sayings for any old time. They are rather what wisdom looks like, given the fact that the kingdom of heaven is coming with the coming of Jesus. That now, heaven, the wonderful life of the future, is even now breaking in and welling up into the present. Let me give you an analogy for this and why it matters. We are blessed to live in a democracy where time and again we have enjoyed the peaceful transition of power from one government to another. Though at times, a couple years ago, some people were nervous. But all you have to do is think of history to realize that for many people in many places, the coming to power of a new government has brought with it all kinds of foreboding and difficult life and death questions. Just think of the educated in Cambodia when the Khmer Rouge was coming to power. Or the capitalists and the aristocracy in Russia when the communists were coming to power. Or the Jews and the Gypsies and the Communists and the Baptists and Pentecostals when Hitler was coming to power. Suddenly, if you're them, you're not sure what it means that this new kingdom has come. How will it affect you? Will it be better than some are fearing? Or will it be worse than anyone suspects? Should you leave your home, your country, your family and flee for your life? 
Or, or should you stay and hope for the best? A change in kingdoms calls for wisdom. At a time like that, you crave, you need real wisdom. Which decision will lead to a better life for you and your family? Which will allow you to flourish? This is the wisdom that Jesus is offering in the Beatitudes. Now that a new kingdom is coming, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is giving us wisdom on what we should do and what type of people we should be so it will go well with us as this new kingdom comes. Make sense? And so we began to see last Sunday what wisdom Jesus had to offer about this. In the Beatitudes, he tells us what sort of people are going to make out well as this new kingdom comes and why they will flourish. And we saw last week that what Jesus had to say turns out to be good news to the poor. But not just to the economic poor, Rather, to those who are poor in spirit. Those who are like beggars in that they're open-handed and they're open-hearted. They're receptive. They're open. Their hearts are not self-sufficient or self-satisfied. But rather, they know their need and they're not too proud to reach out for help. Poor in spirit. Here's the thing about the economically poor. It's a lot easier for them to have this attitude than the rest of us. They find it easier. For many of us who are so self-sufficient and successful and self-made and prosperous, it's very hard for us to be poor in spirit. And so the poor flock into the kingdom while the rest of us struggle to limp our way in. Then Jesus went on, blessed are those who mourn. If the first beatitude is characterized by a beggar, this one is characterized by an exile a stranger in a strange land. As we saw, this beatitude likely has as a background Isaiah 61, where God promised comfort to the Jewish exiles, comfort to all who mourn. Those who were suffering in captivity, who were longing for God's forgiveness and deliverance. These were the ones who who remember who they are as God's people. And they don't go along, they don't compromise and assimilate with the ways of the empire where there are strangers and aliens. Blessed are those who mourn, for they'll be comforted. And then Jesus adds the meek, the the righteous poor, the the powerless, the overlooked, the, the pushed around, the nobodies, the harmless. Again, you don't have to be powerless and overlooked to be meek, but it sure helps. Those of us who are successful, who have influence, who have a voice, and things go pretty well for us, we find it very hard to be meek. And then lastly, we saw that the kingdom also belongs to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And we saw that this could mean two things, either that I thirst to be more righteous myself, or that I hunger for there to be righteousness around me. For God to step in and put this messed up world right. For God to bring justice. And given what Jesus says about the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are meek, it, it would be natural to assume that Jesus means here those who long for righteousness, for justice around them. But then we saw just briefly at the end of our time uh, last week that, that we have to reconsider this because of the next four Beatitudes. 
Remember the zealots, those, those pious revolutionaries who wanted to overthrow Rome and, and, and Rome's upper-class collaborators and, and bring about a revolution to bring freedom and relief to God's suffering people at that time of oppression, which is how things were in Jesus' day? The zealots could really get on board with the first four Beatitudes. But then Jesus nails them with five through eight. With blessed, fortunate, flourishing are the merciful and the peacemakers, and the pure in heart, and the persecuted. And those throw the poor for a loop, and the zealots who champion their cause. Because now, not only is Jesus turning the world upside down, raising up the lowly and bringing down the high, so that the, the, the high go boo, and the poor go yay, but, but now Jesus is turning it all upside down a second time by challenging the method of how this reversal will happen. Not by violence, not by getting your political party into office, but rather by being merciful, by having a pure heart, by making peace, by being persecuted. If only a lot of Bible-believing people could believe their Bible and what Jesus says here. Well, that's where we left things last week with our heads spinning. So where does all this leave us? As you think again about about the kind of good life you would love to have. uh, And of whose life you you look at with envy. And and what you're aiming at. And what you're yearning for. Jesus says, if you are wise, you will take into account that the kingdom of heaven is coming. This is a change of government. and, And so you need wisdom as to which way to turn. And what decisions to make so that you can have a good life in light of the changes that this new kingdom brings. And Jesus says, I'll offer you you wisdom. Here, I'll I'll tell you the type of person who will make out well and who will come out flourishing in this new kingdom I'm bringing. It'll be the ones who are poor in spirit, like beggars, and those who are mourning, like exiles. And the ones who are meek, like the righteous poor. And the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness. But more than that, the lucky bums, the ones who have it made as the kingdom comes, are also the merciful. And those who are pure in heart. And those who make peace. And those who are persecuted. Persecuted? (laughs) Okay, so this tells us there will be violence. There will be resistance to the coming of Jesus' new kingdom. That those who are the haves and the comfortable and the privileged now won't take kindly to losing their position and ceding it to the meek and to the lowly. But again, how should those who are entering Jesus' new kingdom treat those who currently hold power and privilege and resist the coming of Jesus' kingdom? Well, Jesus says... Respond to the persecutors with mercy, by making peace, by having a pure heart. And we're blessed if they persecute us. In other words, we're to treat those who resist like Jesus did to his persecutors. So let me ask you, at the beginning of this sermon, when I asked you whose life you would like to have, Is this the kind of person that you picked? Someone who is merciful. 
someone who is pure in heart, someone who's a peacemaker, someone who gets persecuted. If not, Jesus says, you are not going to flourish or find happiness as my kingdom comes. Is that a tough pill to swallow, (laughs) to believe? If it is, you're starting to understand the Beatitudes. Well, let's dig deeper into these second four Beatitudes. First, Jesus says, flourishing, fortunate, blessed, good for them are the merciful. This is bad news for those who hold a grudge and who insist on things being fair and that people get what they deserve. Because the kingdom that's coming isn't going to turn out to work that way. In Jesus' kingdom, there will be heaps of mercy for all sorts of people who don't deserve it. Now, think with me about mercy for a minute, because there are two sorts of mercy, both of which Jesus has in mind here. One kind of mercy is when you hear about that single mom who lost her job, and you respond generously. You help her out. You have mercy on her. That's one kind of mercy. The other kind of mercy is when someone has wronged you or wronged someone you care about, hurt them, and they deserve to be punished, but you forgive them instead. You offer them mercy. Both of those kinds of responses of mercy flow from a merciful heart. And people with this heart, Jesus says, are going to flourish now that the kingdom of heaven is coming. Because God will have heaps of mercy on those who are merciful. Then Jesus continues, second, you know who else has it made? You know who else the lucky bums are? What they're like? They're pure in heart. Now, pure here doesn't so much mean squeaky clean or or undefiled, as it does consistent and having integrity. That what you are on the outside, you are on the inside too. That what you are in public is what you are when no one is looking. That what you are in church is what you are at home and at work. You aren't pretending, you aren't faking it. You're real, through and through. People like that have it made, Jesus says, because they will see God. They will know God. They will know Jesus, the king of this new kingdom that's coming. The pure in heart. Then third, blessed are the peacemakers. As you know by now, if you've been hanging around CBC for a while, peace, as it's used in the Bible, is much more than peace the way we use the English word. The Hebrew word is shalom. And it means much more than that the war or the conflict is over. Shalom, peace, describes a situation and a world where everything is put right. Where everything is flourishing. Where everything is whole. Wouldn't you like to live in a world like that? And it's people who make shalom, who work for wholeness and for peace and for the flourishing of others. Jesus says, it's these kinds of people who will be called children of God. Why? Because this is what God is working for too. In fact, this is why Jesus came, to bring shalom. This is what his kingdom is all about. And then finally, fourth, Jesus said, Blessed 
are the persecuted for righteousness. Those lucky bums. <laughs> those who, who catch flack for, for living and for pursuing and bringing about the way of shalom, the way of justice and righteousness, the way of the kingdom. Blessed are they. They're, they're meek, and so they aren't using violence or power to force their agendas, even though they think their way is right. They're merciful, and so they're not vengeful or calculating. They're peacemakers, and so they're not stirring up trouble and, and always asking how this affects the bottom line. And so they're vulnerable to persecution, just like their Lord was, right? In fact, can you think of one person who, who better exemplifies the flourishing, the fortunate ones, the lucky bums described in the Beatitudes than Jesus does? <laughs> Poor in spirit, born in a manger, attended by shepherds, mourning, a man of sorrows and familiar with grief, meek, gentle and humble of heart, a bruised reed he would not break, hungering for righteousness, no doubt, merciful, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing, pure in heart, yes, a peacemaker, he was the prince of peace, he is the prince of peace, and persecuted, he died for his enemies, Hang around Jesus. Follow Jesus. Let him rub off on you. And you will become more and more like those described in the Beatitudes. And as Jesus brings the kingdom of heaven, it's these kinds of people who begin to flourish and who ultimately have it made. So let me ask you again. Is this the kind of life you aspire to? Is this the kind of person you look at and say, I wish I had their life? If not, if your idea of the good life, the life that you would love to have, doesn't look like what's described in the Beatitudes, here's the logical conclusion. You don't believe a word of what Jesus is saying here. You're in effect saying, that's nice, Jesus, for church, for inspirational greeting cards, but for life in the real world? I don't believe what you're sharing is really wise at all. I'm not buying it. I don't believe your kingdom is really coming, at least anytime soon. And I hope I don't live to see it. I don't want the world to be turned upside down because I'm trying hard to climb to the top. And I don't want the top to wind up being the bottom. And all that stuff about mercy and making peace and being persecuted, it's too idealistic. It's not practical. I mean, money talks, power talks, success talks, not weakness, not humility. And Jesus says, that's okay. If you think my wisdom is foolish, you don't have to follow me. You can walk away. But don't say I didn't warn you about the kingdom that's coming. And what its consequences will be. And who gets to enter it. And who will be comforted. And who will inherit the earth. And who will receive mercy. And who will see God and be his children. So let me close with this. I, I, think, I think this is our problem. We're so used to the upside down world that we live in. Where the rich get richer and the powerful call the shots. 
and the poor and the weak, they suffer. And so our natural solution is just to try to make sure that we're, the one, we're ones who are nearer to the top than we are to the bottom. We're so used to the world being this way that it's hard for us to imagine a different way, an upside-down way. It's hard to believe that that way could actually be right-side-up. It's hard for us to believe that Jesus could really change everything. It's hard to believe that, that dying on a cross in the, in the lowest place could actually result in being raised up from the dead and exalted to the highest place and being given glory and honor and power and blessing. It's hard to believe that if we follow Jesus on the way of the cross, the downward way, that this will actually be the way up. It's so countercultural and counterintuitive. No wonder Paul called it the foolishness of God. But he insisted it was wiser than human wisdom. And so following Jesus is a risk. Could he really be right? Could he really be wise? (laughs) Well, I can't make that decision for you. I can only make it for myself. But I challenge you not to ignore the choice that Jesus is, is presenting us with. Don't pretend Jesus didn't say what he said and, and then go on calling yourself a Christian anyway. Instead, deal with Jesus. Wrestle with the Beatitudes. Wrestle with the Sermon on the Mount. As we sing this closing song, wrestle with where your life is and where your heart is in relation to what Jesus says here. And talk to Jesus about it. As, as we sing, if you want to Come and kneel at the front to to confess, to surrender, to ask for help, to ask for comfort. Feel free to respond however you feel you need to.